out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. And welcome to Our Wild World. Today, we're going to pick up Our Wild World on the road from where we left off last week. Wyoming, from Yellowstone and across the northern part of the state, through the Bighorn Canyon Recreation Area and Devil's Tower National Monument, both at the far northeastern corner of Wyoming next to the South Dakota border. You're welcome to call in today to to today's show at one 472 As always, I enjoy hearing your questions, comments, and stories, or you can email me at wildize at wildeyes.org. Also, we may have two young guests joining us from the Prior Mountain Wild Mustang Center outside Lovell, Wyoming, in the Bighorn Canyon Recreation Area. Due to some technical difficulties of being on the road, we haven't been able to confirm, so we may simply join up with them as a special guest in another episode, as we could certainly fill an entire hour all about the wild mustangs and the bighorn recreation area, and the wonderful people who protect one of the last remaining herds of magnis- ma- excuse me, magnificent pure-blood wild mustangs descended from the Spanish conquistadors. I guess we'll find out very soon if they call in or not, and you can certainly learn more about the Prior Mountain Wild Mustangs at www.priormustangs.org, and that's spelled P-R-Y-O-R-M-U-S-T-A-N-G-S. They're a fabulous uh, group of people, and the horses are absolutely stunning. And uh, briefly, before we get jump in, um, last week I mentioned that we were in Jackson Hole, the home of the uh, Grand Tetons, the National Wildlife Art Museum, and uh, the Elk Refuge, and also home to the one of the finest premier film festivals, wildlife film festivals in the nation. And we've just received news that our, the film, The Elephant in the Room, which was funded by Wild Eyes, has been nominated, at, nominated as a finalist in the Jackson Hole Wildlife Film Festival under the best of short shorts. Uh, this film festival 
gathers uh, films from over 540 entries uh, to 23 categories, and they viewed over 2,500 hours of film to narrow it down to the finalists. So uh, we're very, very excited to see Elephant in the Room nominated at the Jackson Hole uh, Wildlife Film Festival. So I guess I may be taking a trip back to Jackson. And uh, that premieres on a five-day screening and workshop event, September 23rd through the 27th. So if you're interested in learning more, please look up the Jackson Hole Wildlife Film Festival, and you can follow them on Facebook and Twitter, along with Wild Eyes on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll keep you posted. So let's get back to our road trip. As I'd mentioned before, whether talking about Africa or the U.S., the most important aspect about engaging with and protecting our wilderness is community and active involvement. The communities around the national parks are inextricably linked and dependent upon the national parks and monuments for their economic flow, tourism, and volume of visitors. This lifeblood provides the tax revenue for infrastructure and improvements to the hospitality and labor force to the community itself, whether it be the labor force that works in and around the communities or the people who those communities provide into the national park system. It is an interwoven dependency for personnel, concessionaire staff, U.S. Fish and Wildlife wardens, biologists, researchers, geologists, naturalists, interpreters, and guides, hunting and fishing and all the other services and recreation and entertainment involved, mechanics, hotels, restaurants, inside and outside the parks, the roads and highways, geared around the pressures and the volumes of three to five million visitors that travel through our national parks and towns and cities per year most of them in the spring and summer but we also have here in the rockies a strong winter presence and uh throughout the historic west skiing backcountry snowmobiling hunting dog sledding and of course wildlife research and study one thing in common through all the folks is seeking for that exhilaration reminiscent of the days of discovery yes folks discovery still happens we still are know so little about all that is around us on the world and our technology, which I'll talk a little bit about uh, in a little bit, um, is giving us more and more ability to understand the inner workings of our Earth, is such as in a place like Yellowstone, an active volcano, an active caldera, and one of the largest geothermal areas in the world, to understanding the wildlife, flora, and fauna that live and make it uh, these areas, it's home. Modern as we are, there is still something that spikes your heart rate when you pass through our magnificent mountains. When you see a bison right next to your car, or a bear or an elk moseying along, doing what it does in the places they were meant to live, or even the smaller critters as they scurry across the road while you try and figure out what it was or take a photo. Many of the visitors, urban dwellers to these parks, uh, well, many of the visitors are urban dwellers and they're visiting these parks and uh, left their everyday world behind, are seeing this wilderness and wildlife for the very first time. 
It's wonderful to see the expressions on their faces when they spot their first wild animal, whether it be a lone pronghorn buck or the moose off the side of the road. Even something as small as a snowshoe hare, a robin's egg, or an eagle, let alone the mar- larger, larger-than-life mammals, all of which are responsible for making this ecosystem function, and how obvious it is that the functions are that they function very, very well without us. The thing to always remember, though, is these animals are wild. They are very habituated in many cases, and the Many people that we talk to along the way say, oh, they seem so tame. We were hiking and a bear just came right next to us. They are not tame. They are not domesticated. They are wild. They are habituated to people because we provide so many goodies like food and um That can be dangerous, especially when you're around bears or mountain lions, and we provide a curiosity. We also provide knowledge to animals to understand how to live with these two-legged things that walk through their, their landscape. But you need to remember they are wild. It is, they are not tame, and you do not walk up to, uh, Pet them. You do not get out of your car and uh, go any closer than 50 to 100 feet, depending on the animal that you're viewing, because this is a bad idea. There are volumes of books, notices, and stories about foolhardy visitors who get too close or step out of bounds when simply respecting the wildlife and the landscape is so much easier. It's thrill enough being in these places, testing your knowledge and your abilities in the wilderness without having to press your luck or risk your life or the animal's life for that added adrenaline fix of the far, far too close encounter. Uh, I want to back up a little bit and give you a little history about Yellowstone. I know I covered this last week, but um, we ran out of time, sort of right in the middle of that uh, little talk. So the human history of Yellowstone goes back more than 11,000 years. From then until the very recent past, many groups of Native Americans used the park as their homes, hunting grounds, and transportation routes. This still exists today, and uh, fortunately our government and the National Park System has begun to recognize the importance of the Native American historical sites, the sacred sites, the energy areas that belong to uh, these tribal groups and their history. It's a very important part of our culture, the U.S. culture, and um, understanding these areas that you're visiting uh, on your road trip. The traditional uses of Yellowstone lands continued until a little over 200 years ago when the first people of European descent found their way into the park. In 1872, a country that had not yet seen its first centennial established Yellowstone National Park as the first national park in the world. A new concept was born and with it, a new way for people to preserve and protect the best of what they had for the benefit and enjoyment of future generations. That's us. 
Yellowstone National Park spans an area of 3,468 square miles, comprising lakes, canyons, rivers, and mountain ranges. Yellowstone Lake is one of the largest high-altitude lakes in North America and is centered over the Yellowstone caldera. Uh, that's the active base of, a yellow, of the, the volcano. And yes, it is still active. Uh, Yellowstone of the Yellowstone volcano was the largest supervolcano on the continent. The caldera is considered active. It has erupted with tremendous force several times in the last two million years and more recently in the last 50 years. Half of the world's geothermal features are in Yellowstone, fueled by this ongoing volcanism. Lava flows and rocks from volcanic eruptions cover most of the land area of Yellowstone and beyond, as far east as Washington and as far, excuse me, how far west as Washington and as far east as Texas and Florida. The lava flows and rocks from these eruptions cover most of the land area within Yellowstone, which is the centerpiece of the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, the largest remaining nearly intact ecosystem in the Earth's northern temperate zone. Hundreds of animals, birds, fish, and reptiles have been documented, including several others that are either endangered or threatened. The vast forests and grasslands also include unique species of plants. Yellowstone is the largest and most famous megafauna location on the continental United States. It is home to grizzly bears, black bears, wolves, and free-ranging herds of bison and elk. They all live in the park along with the smaller ungulates of deer and the mesocarnivores, coyotes, foxes, and of course the raptors, golden and old bald eagles, osprey, and hawks. The Yellowstone Park bison herd is the oldest and largest public bison herd in the United States. Forest fires occur in the park each year, and we've learned a lot about forest fires and forests and fire from the fires that uh, broke out in Yellowstone, the biggest one being 1988, uh, where nearly one-third of the park was burnt, almost 250,000 million acres. I think I have that number right. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's the center of the 20 million acre greater Yellowstone ecosystem, a region that includes the Grand Teton National Park, the adjacent national forests, and expansive wilderness areas within those forests. The ecosystem is the largest remaining continuous stretch of mostly undeveloped, pristine land in the continental United States, and is considered the largest intact ecosystem in the northern temperate zone that we can honestly say we have today. So, uh, we, we're going to take a little break. That's enough of my little history lesson for today. And when we come back, I'm going to fill you in on our boondoggle road trip and some of the magnificent wonders that we saw on our trip. So, we'll be right back after the break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. 
Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back to our wild world, and lo and behold, technology works. We have our guests from the Prior Mountain Wild Mustang Center. We have Cassie Renner and Sydney Tayek. I hope I pronounced those correctly. Two fabulous, energetic young women that I met at the uh, Prior Mountain Wild Mustang Center who gave us great information about the horses and how to go about seeing them. Good morning, Cassie and Sydney. Morning. <laughs> so, um, I'd like to learn, I'd like you, if you could share a little bit about yourselves, um, before we get into a little more background about the, the Mustang Center. In talking with you the other day, um, I learned that you're both on the young side, which was very, uh, exciting for me, um, and you don't have to tell your age or anything like that. But what's so exciting is that you are not yet in college and you're both very geared toward our wild world. So um, why does this matter to you? And how did you get started? Let's start with you, Cassie. Okay, so I'm Cassie and I started working at the Mustang Center through the Wyoming Workforce and I'm an intern here and I absolutely love my job. Um, I think it's awesome because a lot of people don't know about our Mustangs, and when you go up there for your first time, it's truly an eye-opener, and you have no idea, like, how beautiful these creatures are. I mean, they're awesome, and I can't believe these guys have been around for 500 years and how pure they are. uh, Give me just a little clue. What is the Wyoming Workforce? The Wyoming Workforce is just basically a center that um, helps people get jobs through high school and even college. So by that statement, I gather you're both still in high school? Correct. 
So I'd like our listeners to understand this is a lot of what I've been talking about throughout various episodes of Our Wild World, engaging our young people in uh, working and careers and a future in an understanding why all this matters. Sydney, tell us a little bit about you. All right. My name is Sydney Tyke. I originally started out here two years ago on an internship like Kathy. And I loved it. I fell in love with these horses the first time I went out to the range. Um, moving to Wyoming four years ago was really an eye-opener because I grew up in the city, and then I moved to the mountains of Colorado for a while. But moving here is such a different culture, and there's so many different animals, and you don't have wild horses in Colorado or Utah. So it was amazing just to be able to go up on the range and say, wow, these horses are wild. So I came here on an internship two years ago, like Cassie did, my sophomore year of high school. And I didn't work here last year, but this year I came back as an employee. So I'm real. I feel really blessed to be able to work here. Um, I love being able to share the history of the horses, let people know that these horses are, in fact, still wild. They've been wild for over a hundred years. They're truly America's footprint. That's excellent information. So um, what are your positions at the Mustang Center? Sydney? I am the director's assistant. And, and what, does that, cast what does that entail? What? What does that entail? I'm just here for to help anything that the director needs. I trained Cassie when she got here, and we do everything at the desk. We do emails, phone calls, we give information, um, anything that anyone wants to know, Cassie and I are here for. And I can attest to that because the moment my friend B and I walked in, Cassie and Sydney were there with smiles and eager to let the visitor, for the, the first time visitor, know all about the horses and where to go and what to do to get a view of these horses. Cassie, what does your job entail? My job is kind of like the director's assistant. Assistant. <laughs> um, so, I basically do the same thing as her. Um, yeah, <laughs> basically okay, do the but same you, job. You also, do, you also um, are quite the photographer. Oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Um, you no, know, I, I saw your photographs. So in the center, it's a wonderful little gift shop. There's great maps. There's great information about the horses and their history. And um, I was looking at the photographs of these beautiful, beautiful horses. There's how many horses on the range? About 155, including this year's foals. And we still have three mares to drop. Okay, and what that means is foals dropping from pregnant mares. Yeah. So Cassie um, is out, evidently out there, and I believe Sydney is too, taking photo, photos of the horses. And that um, provides, it's not only just fun and engaging for wildlife and animal lovers, but these photos provide uh, important information such as who's who, correct? Yes. And uh, how many horses, uh, how many foals do you, did you have this year? We have 16 right now. And like we said, we still have three more to drop. So we'll have 19 by the end of season. 
Okay, so um, fill us in a little on the history of the Prior Mountain uh, Mustang organization, the, the center that you work on, work in. How did it get started? Well, this center was the dream of a gentleman named Reverend, Reverend Floyd Schweiger. He passed away about nine years ago. He, since he was a little boy, used to go up on the range and just document the horses as often as he could. He wrote down what their colors were, what their genders were, what their markings were, and which band or harem, as we call it, they were in. Um, another lady is a, is a lady named Bess Tillett. She was really into these horses for a long time, and it was actually her idea to make, to originate the range. She really got into, I guess, the BLM spaces about, hey, these horses are important. We need to preserve them. And finally, after years of negotiating with the BLM, she got the range to be passed, and we now have our range here in our building. When Reverend Schwieger died, he left us everything that he had, so we were able to build this center that we're in now. And this building has been here since 05, and the range itself was the first public wild horse range organized, and that was in 1968. So that's been going on a long time. So through Ms. Reverend Schweiger, yes. um, you have a long, a lengthy uh, documentation of the bloodlines of these horses, yeah? Yes, we do. Very, very long. And it's taken us quite a while to go through all of his research to figure out our genealogical processes. So tell us a little about that. Um, tell us a little bit about the horses. You said they've been wild there for a hundred years, but um, I also recall you mentioning when we were at the center that the bloodline dates back more than 500 years. Yes, the bloodline does. These horses are ancestors, or I'm sorry, descendants of the original Spanish conquistador colonial horses brought over from Spain in the early 1500s by the conquistadors, and they ended up in Wyoming and Montana through just being lost, um, Indians bartering, stealing, and trading these horses. And these horses are pure Spanish horses. We actually have genetic tests to show that they are true descendants of colonial horses. And the, um, our herd is actually one of four in the world that has Spanish bloodlines that are still as pure as they are. Ours is considered to be the most pure because we have no crossbreeding with other breeds. However, uh, as I ahead. said before, there's no... Um, we do have ge like genetic records showing, but we can't take horses from 500 years ago that have been deceased for 500 years and test their genetics. We just go off of what we know now with their characteristics, their bloodlines, and their genetics. So, And what are some of the characteristics of these horses? I noticed while viewing them, and yes, I did get a few pictures, it started a, a major thunder and lightning storm just as we got to Mustang Flats, but we did see about seven there, and they definitely are, you, you can tell they're wild horses by looking through the binoculars. They are not the shiny, sleek animals you'll see in, a, in somebody's stable. They no. have a hard life out there. It's, it's a tough landscape. 
So um, what are, and I was reading some of the information signs, and one mentioned the Dunn horse and the Dunn characteristics. So tell us a little about the unique special characteristics of this, this breed of horse, this line. Well, the, these Spanish horses, the Dunn color and the Grio color, or Gria for the females, um, have the dorsal stripe on the back and then the wither strap and the striped, zebra striped legs and the two-tone manes. Those are the specific characteristics that you can see on those two colors. Um, they're also, uh, they don't get bigger than about 16 hands, 15 usually, um, those are the main characteristics for a Spanish colonial horse. And the other thing our listeners should realize, and I hope they look up the Prior Mountain Wild Mustang Center at www.priormountain, uh, excuse me, priormustangs.org, and that's spelled P-R-Y-O-R, and you can learn a lot more about the history of the horses, the center itself, and um, the characteristics of these horses. Uh, I'm going to be posting some of the photos on my Facebook page. And seeing the stripes on the withers of these horses was just an exciting moment for me. And and reading the information signs and you know you're in a unique place witnessing something magnificent and a part of our history that the Mustang Center has worked very hard to protect and obviously has engaged young people in understanding why it's a worthy thing to protect. So um, you'd mentioned earlier that you work in conjunction with the BLM, and for those who are not familiar, that's the Bureau of Land Management. So they manage the Bighorn Canyon Recreation Area, and uh, within that is the Mustang Habitat, correct? Yes. And uh, so this work, this relationship with the BLM, I'm sure since it's governmental to non-governmental with your center, you have uh, some interesting issues that you have to deal with. What, what were some of the most difficult ones uh, that the center had to overcome to protect this, this strain of horses? Well, we have to do a roundup every three to four years because the range itself is fenced to keep our lines pure. The horses do have 38,000 acres, so it's more than enough to keep them wild. But we had to understand that because it is a fenced range, that we will have to be taking off horses every so often. Um, Thankfully, when we do have our adoptions, there is a waiting list for adopters. There is a long process they have to go through. They have to meet certain requirements for the BLM. But... Um, like none of our horses go to slaughterhouse, which is fabulous. And I think another thing was understanding that we are going to have to be doing a PZP, which is a birth control dart that we do with on the mares. And we let a mare have one to two babies, and then we start darting her. And the dart is different for every mare. Some mares, they'll be infertile for a year. Some will be infertile for a week. And the next thing we know, she's dropping a foal the next spring. Um, it's just different, different mares react differently, just as different people react differently to different um, prescriptions. The horses also react differently. The dart does not hurt the horses. It's not harmful in any way. We do have one mare that does have a slight scar, but it hasn't affected her 
one bit since she was started. But I think those are the two biggest things we've had to kind of get used to. And now that we're in the groove of dealing with it, we are so grateful that we're able to round up these horses and make sure they go to to caring places places and owners and knowing that because of our PZP, and it is PZP, it's not like PCP, like the drug or anything. <laughs> um, it's PZP, and knowing that we're able to kind of control the population a little bit better is, it's truly fantastic. I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better place to work or a better animal to be wild in our mountains. Well, you mentioned some really important things there because um, as we talked about when I was visiting with you, there are places where the wild mustangs are rounded up and uh, there have been documentaries about it and it's a rather harsh thing to witness and um, there's been a lot of outspoken support in not harming, not killing, not setting to slaughter the wild horses, the wild mustangs, as their history is so important to our history. So the um, uh, the the dart that you give them, the contraceptive, is important to the lifestyle and maintaining the herd, not only in being intact but to keep the pressure off the herd in terms of uh, fitting in their landscape, not overrunning or overpopulating their landscape, and on the other side, not having to make harsh decisions of what to do with quote-unquote excess horses. So Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about um, the adoption process, uh, how that works for the horses, how that works for the donor, and how it works for the center. Well, the adoption originally is you have a kind of a lot of paperwork you have to fill out. You have to meet certain requirements, like you have to have six-foot fences that the horses aren't going to be tangled up in. You have to have a certain amount of space, shelter, food, and water. Um, you have to have... You have to have an understanding of the horses generally. Um, and our roundups... Think heavens are not helicopter roundups like you see on TV. Our roundups are natural bait trap roundups, which means we just put a section of panels up and then we bait them in with hay. And with the horses that we don't want to take to auction, they'll be put back on the range. And then we only take the ones that the BLM and the center have discussed need to be taken off. So once that happens, we have a live auction and it's held at Britain Springs, which is just south of the range on what's called Crooked Creek Burnt Timber Road. Um, the auction generally starts at 8 o'clock in the morning, and we usually take off around 30 to 40 horses, and every single horse is gone to an adopter within four hours. So these horses, like I said before, none of them go to kill buyers. And every single one goes to a good home. And if we do, the BLM will do an ex- inspection several times a year. Because within that first year, the horse isn't technically yours. If you do pass those inspections, after a year, the horse is in your name and you can get a title for that horse, like a registration. And we do have registrations for the horses. It's called Prior Mountain Registration Association. And Beth Carnahan, she does that. And... I- I have a question. So once an an adopter who physically removes one of the taken-off horses to their 
ranch, range, or land, they're, I'm going to assume here, and correct me if I'm wrong, that they are not allowed to, the, the adopter is not allowed to interbreed one of the Mustangs with uh, any other horses other than another Mustang? Um, or, or, or are they not allowed to breed them at all? Or, or do, you, do you know that? No, we do have several breeders that will come to the auction and buy horses to breed. Um, within the first year, you're generally not supposed to breed them because they could be taken from you. But after that year, they're yours. You could crossbreed them. You can breed them with other Mustangs, or you can have them as a pleasure horse for riding. So you can breed them with any breed that you want once they're in your name. But for that first year, I definitely recommend not breeding them because they could possibly be taken if they're not in the right conditions. And also, it's a little difficult for that in the first year for that horse who's been raised wild uh, wild and free to get used to um, being with people a bit more, especially uh, interbreeding with other horses or becoming being trained and uh, to be a pleasure horse. That's a little hard on an animal that was once wild and free. So it's really great to hear how, uh, how well you manage um, the offtake and follow up what happens to these Mustangs. Do you still um, get reports or information or letters and notes from people who have uh, adopted one of the horses and taken it off the range? Sometimes we do get like letters and updates, but when our registration, when a, when a horse is registered after that year, then we get all the files. So any horse that's been taken off, we have their registration file in our center. So it's good to see that when a horse becomes the owner's after that year, that they're still just as healthy. And a lot of times, I've seen horses that almost look happier in their new homes because they've formed such immense bonds with their owners. Then, I mean, it's hard to say that they're not happy on the range because that's where they grew up, wild and free and running with the wind. But it is amazing to see how much of a bond these horses, once they trust you, You'll never lose that trust unless you break it. That's incredible. That's incredible. And also, they have a bit cushier life. Um, the animals that we saw are, are beautiful, stunning, but looking through bino- the binoculars, you can definitely see they've been through some fights. And mm-hmm. uh, I can imagine uh, having a forever home, as they like to call it in the pet adoption world, um, would be a little simpler life. They don't have to fight each other, and they don't have to look for food. Um, so you also have another way to adopt horses. So for the listeners out there who are interested, in supporting the Prior Mountain Mustang Center and keeping alive uh, for future generations these incredible, magnificent animals, you can adopt a horse without having to take it home. Tell us about that. Uh, Cassie, why don't you, or, or Sydney, tell us a little about that process. Well, since our um, center is based off of donations, you can make a $30 donation and foster um, one of our six horses. Right now, we have Custer, Jackson, Duke, Sacagawea, and Baja as our foster horses. But basically, it's just a $30 donation, and it goes straight to the horses. And you get a certificate. And because we are a nonprofit, this, those donations do really go to those horses. And keeping so the- our center open. 
in the other part, okay, so you guys did such a good job. You talked me into adopting a horse. And I've got this beautiful folder here. I, I adopted Sacagawea. And uh, I don't know if I saw him out there on Met, her, excuse me, on Mustang Flats. I thought I did. I'll t- take some pictures and email them to you. But um, so through, there is a $100 annual membership and then a $30 adoption. Tell us a little bit more how that works. And, well, we um, have a $30 membership and then we have a $100 wind drinker donation. And basically with the wind drinkers, um, you can adopt or not adopt, donate up to $100 or more and you'll get a plaque in our center and when we reach 1,000, we will pull a name and they'll win this a Family Matters statue. And it's really beautiful. It's like a $10,000 sculpture. It's truly amazing. And um, I saw that sculpture there. It's a fantastic bronze of horses. And um, the motion depicted in this sculpture is absolutely beautiful. So I do urge our listeners, if you're interested, to check out the Prior Mountain Mustangs at PriorMountainMustangs.org and read through the history here and find out more about how you can help and uh, get get your friends and uh, neighbors and people who love horses. There are a lot of horse lovers out there to support the Prior Mountain Mustang and, and the range. So when you say the funding goes directly to the horses, how does that work? Is it for food, medi- uh, medication, checkups? Uh, how does that work? Where does the money actually go? The money goes into maintaining the fence um, and... Does it go towards the PZP? Mm-hmm. It goes towards doing the PZP darts and keeping our center open to provide information about these horses. And it gives money to um, keeping track of the genealogical records and stuff like that. All right. This is excellent. So um, where are uh, the best places to view the Mustangs once you've left the gate and understand which direction to go. I got a little lost. Um, from the map, there's two places to go to see the Mustangs. Uh, tell us about the two different areas. Um, one of the places is down by the Bighorn National Recreation Area, and that is along Highway 37, which is right off of 14A. And that's about a 15-mile span of paved highway. And there's about 40 Mustangs in that area. It's called the Dryhead herd and then there's another herd which is up on the top where the famous cloud is (laughs) but there are so many mustangs up there there's about 120 up on the top alone um and that take you have to have a four-wheel drive vehicle to get up those kinds of roads with at least a foot clearance and pretty thick tires to get up there. <laughs> yeah, I noticed you checked out my car. I have a Land Rover LR4, and uh, the first thing I did, the, the girls did, the young ladies did when I walked in and asked where we could go see the horses, they immediately went out the window and said, what car is it? And uh, so I was impressed that you're actually checking it, and that's providing safety for the visitor, uh, which ends up being safety measures for the horses so nobody gets stuck up there. Um, I would assume that once you're up there on that two-hour drive and up on the top that you're out of cellular area, you're out of contact, and uh, if something should happen, then you're on your own. Or is there um, a way to get help 
from there? Um, there is a little bit of service on top, but not very good. Um, so you're kind of on your own. You kind of just have to guess and choose which road you want to take on the way back. Trust so me. I'd say, I'd say for our listeners, it's really important to stop in the center first. Yeah. Don't just drive on up and see and think you're going to see the horses right out your window, which we were really fortunate to have happen for us on the lower drive at Mustang Flats. You definitely yeah. need to stop in the center, talk to Cassie and Sydney, or the other, I don't know if there's other folks there, but Cassie and Sydney were there the day we were there, and uh, it was a pleasurable visit, and definitely stop there to get the map, get instructions, and there's also etiquette. Um, how to behave once you're in and around or the horses or around, are around you. Do you have any um, comments of uh, some of the what to and what not to do things? Yeah. Um, generally, we advise people stay at least 100 feet away from the horses. Um, don't scream and be rowdy. You know, mind your mind your manners. And these are wild horses, so don't go up and, I mean, I've seen a couple guys in Yellowstone once put their son on a bull buffalo, and I'm like, what are you thinking? So don't do anything stupid like that around the horses, because I can guarantee you they won't even let you come within 10 feet of them. Um, there are some incidents where Cassie and I both have just been sitting on the mountain, and we've either turned around or pulled our cameras down, and their horse is standing within a foot and a half from our faces. That's only because these horses, because they're wild, and they don't, I mean, they're pretty used to people and people being on the mountain, but they're still curious. Wild animals are always curious about their surroundings, so if a horse does start to approach you, don't scream and turn around and run away, and don't try to touch it. If it touches you, that's completely different. If you're just standing there and a horse comes up to you and you're sitting there and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Just relax, take a couple deep breaths, and and if a horse smells you or touches you, do not try to touch it back. There is a fine if if you try to mess around with the horses. There is a fine if you feed the horses, and there is a fine if you try to kind of rambunctiously rowdy the horses. I mean, it's because it is, um, a lot of it is National Park, BLM, and Park Service. There are fines, just as in Yellowstone, for messing with the wild animals. So just in general, um, stay 100 feet away from the horses. Don't roughhouse or, you know, crazy people. Be polite and be respectful. Exactly. Because we should be with any and all wildlife, even though these are horses. And we're used to seeing horses just about everywhere in our daily lives, especially in Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, and Colorado, and most of the Western range states. These are wild animals, and we'll talk a little bit more about wildlife um, and what we've talked about in terms of our wild world in our previous episodes. So um, we've got uh, to head into a break. Cassie and Sydney, is there any other information that you feel is uh, critically important for our listeners and if they want to come visit? I just think most people know about Cloud, the wild stallion of the arrowhead. He's actually on our mountain, and the mountain is called the Prior Mountains. Ginger changes the name in her movies because the crow on the other side of the canyon call these mountains the arrowheads. So if you have seen the Cloud videos 
or heard of our horses any other way through this radio show or online or a referral from a friend, we would definitely love to have anyone stop in. You can call us, and our number is 5407-548-9453, or email us at info at priormustangs.org, and I think Ellie can give you that information as well. Um, but these horses are amazing creatures. They're, they're truly magnificent. So. And, it, and it sounds like it's a great place to work for young people who are looking for something to do that will get them involved back in nature, make that connection, uh, and to our wildlife and our wild lands. And uh, from what I understood from talking with Cassie and Sydney, they're very um, geared toward a future in, uh, in wilderness and wildlife. Uh, Sydney, I recall your, your goal is to be a U- U.S. Park Service Ranger and um, Cassie going into agriculture, both of which are highly important to the visitors coming through our wild world and uh, learning and wanting to learn about not only interpreting what they're seeing, but understanding what they're seeing for their children, their families, and for future generations. So the um, just as a, a, a little quick thing, the Bureau of Land Management is run under the Department of the Interior, which is a part of the U.S. Forest Service. You can correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, the the U.S. Park Service and the difference between the national parks and the national monuments and recreation areas. So it is uh, an important and critical role that Cassie and Sydney um, have taken on for their lives to um, help the rest of us understand a bit more about our wild world. Well, it looks like we need uh, to head into a break. So Cassie and Sydney, I certainly appreciate you calling in. It's been fabulous talking to you. You, your energy and your knowledge and your excitement about your work and these horses is energizing to me um, where my work is about getting people engaged back into understanding and connecting with our natural world. So I want to thank you so much for being a part of the show and being on Our Wild World and I look forward to keeping in touch with you. Any last words? Don't take all this nature stuff for granted because it truly is amazing. That's that's what I believe. So We only have so much of it, and if you look around, we've destroyed so much of nature already that what we have left, we want to take and keep special. So I am so glad you said that. My motto is we only have one earth. If we don't care, who will? And Cassie and Sydney are fabulous examples of our youth and our young women uh, to care and that uh, that this is important that wildness wilderness and wildlife do matter for all the reasons we've discussed on our wild world and for the reasons we discussed today to keep and preserve this incredible 500 year old strain of Spanish horses from the conquistadors that are still living wild and free in the prior mountain range and uh, of the Bighorn Canyon Recreation Center in Wyoming. So once again, Cassie and Sydney, I thank you so very much and we'll keep in touch. All right, thank you. All right, thank you, and you have a wonderful day. You too. All right, bye-bye. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. 
VoiceAmerica.com. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. We're back again with just a few minutes until we wrap up. I'm so thrilled we had Cassie and Sydney on the show. Um, it's always a, uh, an interesting uh, way to engage people that I not only meet on my trips around our fabulous country, but to work out the technology that makes an interview like that happen. So uh, one thing I just wanted to say while we wrap up is when you enter any U.S. park or recreation area, all visitors are provided with excellent informational and reading material, the most important being how to behave, the etiquette of inter- interaction with wildlife and other tourists, and what the rules are and how to have a safe encounter with both the wildlife and thermal features and other people that you may see around around you. I often sometimes honestly don't think everybody reads this really critical information because if they did there wouldn't be the foolishness that abounds when you get urban folks in wilderness. How difficult is it to understand that 
do not approach wildlife, do not feed wildlife, and do not walk outside of designated pathways or only the safe zones is to understand. So people, I can't, I can't begin to tell you how many footprints of the human mammal we saw where there shouldn't be any. In our three days, we heard numerous tales of woe of people who thought the rules weren't for them. Some tossed and uh, some were injured because they thought they could get their toddler pet to pet the buffalo or maybe as we'd heard from Cassie and Sydney get too close to the horses uh, the photographer who was a bit too focused through the viewfinder in getting that perfect shot who didn't see the running elk mating, mating and strut come up behind them and give them a jab or two with those incredible antlers so folks you know when you get out there into our wild world pay attention it's a very different world than our urban life of concrete and steel and pavement and cars. This is wilderness. Uh, we love wilderness. It doesn't love us. It's neutral. It doesn't care about us. And honestly, it bites and it can often devour us. So when you're out there in our wild world, be careful, pay attention, follow the guidelines, learn Read the information that you're given at any park and recreation area. So we'll see you next week. In the meantime, get out and enjoy our wild world. Thanks. This is Ellie Weiss. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 